Hey guys, David Reeves here. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Hope you enjoy. And remember, you can catch a new episode every Wednesday at noon central on all your streaming devices. Most of these podcasts have visuals, so if you want to see the entire video, check them out at creationsuperstore.com. They're available on DVD or digital download. All right, let's get to it. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. In each episode, we talk about breaking discoveries in science, which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Check out our other resources at davidreeves.com. Sign up for email updates to have encouraging nuggets sent straight to your inbox. Subscribe to our free monthly magazine and like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible. The Grand Canyon, such a beautiful place to visit, yet such a vast history. How did it form? How did the layers of the canyon form? We're going to discuss all of that right now with Russ Miller on Wonders Without Number. Welcome to Wonders Without Number. I'm David Reeves, and today we want to inform and inspire you regarding the wonders that we find all around us. An infinite number of wonders that point us directly to our Creator and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, God's fingerprint can be found everywhere we look, from the farthest galaxy in the cosmos to the microscopic world of genetics and DNA. But ultimately, all scientific fields are drawing us closer to an understanding that the universe shows design and not accidental chance. Now that includes you and me. You are wonderfully made. We want to give you the tools that you need to defend your Christian faith, and we're going to kick it off right now with this week's Heavens Declare. The planet Venus has a reflective atmosphere that makes it the third brightest object in our sky. Let's learn a little bit more about this most fascinating feature of our nearest neighbor, Venus. You see, as telescopes were invented and refined, a favorite object to examine was the evening star, Venus. But there's only so much you can discover this way because of its heavy blanket of clouds. You see, even today we know surprisingly little about Venus's surface compared to planets like Mars because it's so difficult to penetrate its atmosphere. We do know some amazing things about the atmosphere itself, though. As we travel towards the planet, Venus' atmosphere serves an added function that Earth's doesn't need. Earth has a powerful magnetic field that keeps the harmful particles flowing out from the Sun from impacting us. But Venus has almost no magnetic field, so these particles, called solar wind, they hit the top layer of its atmosphere. This constant push of these particles causes the outer edge of Venus's atmosphere to be far closer to the surface on the day side than it is on the night side. Now, the composition of gases surrounding Venus is quite different from ours. You see, most of our atmosphere is nitrogen and nearly all the rest is oxygen, both of which are completely invisible. But Venus has a mostly carbon dioxide atmosphere, also transparent, but with a small amount of sulfur dioxide, which forms this dense, opaque cloud that blocks our view of the surface, obviously. Those clouds are layered through most of the lower atmosphere, and it climbs about 
100 miles above the surface. And they're ever moving. The winds at that level cause those clouds to swirl around the planet at a speed of about 220 miles per hour. What's odd is Venus doesn't have much of a tilt to its axis, and it rotates far more slowly than Earth. So the causes that we're used to experiencing that produce strong winds here, that can't be the reason for them on Venus. Some have stated the fundamental cause of this super rotation of Venus's dense atmosphere is unknown, and it remains one of the most intriguing mysteries in planetary science. Although much less is known about the surface of Venus, scientists have sent probes below the cloud level, and at the surface, the air is cloudless and the wind is barely moving. But the thickness and the density of the atmosphere gives it a barometric pressure equal to what we would experience about one kilometer below the surface of our oceans. And the temperature from the greenhouse effect of all of that carbon dioxide, it's hot enough to melt lead about 867 degrees Fahrenheit. So what could survive on the harsh surface of Venus? We'll have to tackle that some other time. Until then, I'm David Reeves. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. And now let's meet my guest. Russ Miller is the founder of Creation, Evolution, and Science Ministries. Now, over the years, he has taken thousands of people on tours to the Grand Canyon, and he's the author of the book, The Cost. Russ travels, sharing the evidence for God's creation everywhere he goes. We've even bumped into each other on the rim of the canyon in the past. Welcome to the program. Hey, David, nice to be here with you. It's great to have you here, Russ. Uh, tell me just a little bit about The Cost. What does that mean? Uh, the cost is basically an acronym that I feel God gave me. I was talking to my wife one, one day as we were driving to speak at a church in Arizona, and I said, I need a, an acronym that I can quickly explain these foundational issues and make them easy to understand, and boom, yeah. cost. Yeah. Creation, original sin, separation, and the cross, the need for redemption. Yeah. And I just felt God just gave that to me. And the book uh, covers the top 10 old earth beliefs, the top 10 evil fruit of old earth beliefs, because you tell good from bad by the fruit. Oh, yeah. The number one being Darwinism, so it covers the top 10 Darwinian beliefs. Then we cover the top 10 reasons to believe God's Word. And uh, that's what the book is all about, is showing people they can read God's Word and believe God's Word, and getting folks to understand the foundational issues involved in the creation, evolution, age of the earth issues. Absolutely. Now about, uh, was it 2004 or so, you've been leading lots and lots and lots of tours to the Grand Canyon. Yes, there's another thing God showed us. I live about an hour and a half from uh, the canyon. Mm -hmm. And one day I was at the canyon, and as I, I went along the rim of the canyon, I thought this would be a great place to take Christians right here. I could explain these things to them. And right over here, I could explain these. And, and so I, I sort of mapped out three locations where I could really show people the truth of God's Word at Grand Canyon. Yeah. Now, one reason that's important, and actually somewhat of a miracle, is that Grand Canyon is one of the five pillars of secular beliefs. It's one of the, okay. their foundation is millions and billions of years of time. Yeah. That's their magic ingredient. And Grand Canyon's one of the five pillars of old earth beliefs. But we can take people there, and you know how to do this, you've been there, but very quickly we can, we can take that and turn it upside down yeah. and take Grand Canyon back 
to the glory of God in His Word. So back in 2004, uh, a Christian radio station in Arizona teamed up with me and we put on our first Grand Canyon Rim tour. Okay. We got about 55 people on a bus, took them to the canyon. I, I play certain sections of my DVDs that, that teach and set up what I'm gonna do at the rim. And then at the rim, we stop at our three different locations and I do on the rim talks. I show uh, the, the proof of the global flood found at the canyon, uh, some above the rim of the canyon. Yeah. And by the end of the day, it's a, it's a very powerful day. That's great. Now, you take thousands of people there each year, pretty much, right? Well, about a thousand per year. Okay. Because I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it in, uh, in you know, the rim tours with churches and out of state groups. Uh, you and I are still going to do one. We keep talking about it. I know. We we're, keep talking about it. We're going, we are going <laughs> to make it happen. We will make it happen. But a thousand people is a lot of, of those mm -hmm. who might have questions. A lot of people to impact because the Grand Canyon is so instrumental in this debate on the age of the earth. And it is, unfortunately, it's just such a hostile debate because mm -hmm. there, are, there are people who hold to and cling to the millions of years as if they're absolutely necessary to, for survival. I mean, you would think mm -hmm. that they, why is it that millions of years is, is so sacred? To many, even Christians, some Christians. It's sacred to most people because it's their foundation of their worldview. Okay. Millions of years of time is a foundation for Darwinism. Darwinism is a foundation for modern naturalism, which is the foundation of modern humanism. Okay. It's also the foundation of most atheistic and agnostic beliefs, mm -hmm. as well as all the compromised positions inside the church today. Theistic evolution, progressive creation, gap theories, age theories, etc. Yeah. If they lose millions of years, all those beliefs collapse. Okay. So it is a very key uh, issue. And it's an issue we would win if we would learn some simple facts. And that's one of the things I use Grand Canyon to show people. But it's a foundational issue and it's a pride issue oftentimes yeah. inside of the church because people have have uh, taught other people to trust in old earth beliefs. They've, they've advertised it, they've promoted it. Over 90% of our seminaries teach old earth beliefs. Uh, so someone like you and I come along and just show, well actually here's what the Bible says and here's how why the science supports what the Bible says. Uh, 80 to 90% of those people that have been fooled into accepting the old earth beliefs, their faith skyrockets. Yes. But maybe one out of 10 get mad about it. And that's, that's really a pride issue. It's a pride issue for, for some people. And then it is a, for many scientists, it is a peer pressure issue. Oh, because absolutely. Because they dare not question the sacredness of Darwin's teachings, Absolutely. of Lyell's teachings, of all of these things that they that their professors taught, or else they might lose their job. Uh, they absolutely would, because if they give up on millions of years, they lose all those beliefs collapse. Yeah. Now, I used to speak on college campuses, and I would go in and get an auditorium and just destroy Darwinism, and they the professors would get mad but there would be nothing they could do because all they'd have to do is give us an example of Darwinian macroevolution taking place and blow me out of the auditorium. They can't do it, yeah. it never happened. They would get mad about that. But if I start talking about the age of the earth, I had to have bodyguards. <laughs> they understand the foundational issue uh -huh. and it comes down to all old earth beliefs are based on the belief there was never a global flood. Okay. The global flood explains how the earth's crust, the stratified layers form quickly, 
all old Earth beliefs are based on the crust forming over millions of years of time. Um, that's foretold that would happen in Second Peter 3, 3 through 6. Okay. And it says that scoffers will come along in the last days claiming uniform processes uh -huh. and being willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the world that was being overflowed with water perished. They would claim uniform processes and deny the global flood. Okay. Well, Old Earth beliefs today are based on the Earth's crust having formed slowly, uniformly, mm -hmm. like at the rate we see it today, which is almost nothing, with no global flood. Because the global flood would explain how those stratified layers form quickly, yeah. wiping out Darwinism, naturalism, humanism, and all these other non-biblical beliefs. And this growing trend of atheism as the new cool thing. Yes. Okay. Which brings us to talking about the secular interpretation of the Grand Canyon, because when you go to the Grand Canyon, forget how the canyon formed. Yes. You see the layers. Mm -hmm. Well, the layers, many, many scientists, many geologists would try to tell us were formed over billions and billions of years, mm -hmm. uh, those bottom basement rocks. And then over millions upon millions upon millions of years, the next rock layers were formed until finally you have all of these rock layers. Mm -hmm. And then over millions of years, <laughs> the canyon washes through those rock layers. Yes. So everything from a secular interpretation points back to you're looking at billions of years of rocks, millions of years of sedimentation, and millions of years for the canyon to form. When we look at the Grand Canyon, when you take people to the Grand Canyon, what do you see? What do you point out? What are some of the key issues? Some of the things I show people on the rim of the canyon is I show them the straight up and down canyon sides. Mm -hmm. Those rock walls tend to be straight up and down, hundreds of feet straight up and down. Uh, so to, that, that's indicative of very fast, rapid formation, not slow, gradual formation. Okay. You also have huge amphitheaters okay. uh, along the edges of the canyon, where the canyon cuts back and has a big amphitheater, could be, could be a mile or more across. Mm -hmm. That's actually a large, what's called sapping structure. Mm -hmm. When you walk along the edge of a river, sometimes you'll see where the waters come under the edge and left, and the edge just collapsed and left the little amphitheater. Well, on a large scale, you see that at Grand Canyon. Okay. The reason you can show that it formed quickly and not slowly is there's hardly any rock debris at the base. In other words, if, the, if this mile-long stretch formed an amphitheater that collapsed down, and they say it was just the Colorado River slowly cutting it, they don't have a method to remove all that rock debris. It would still be laying there. Yeah. But the rock debris is gone because as the waters were cascading through, forming the canyon in a matter of days, the amphitheaters collapsed and the rock debris was carried out very quickly. Hi, I'm David Reeves, host of Wonders Without Number. Like what you're seeing? You can find so much more on the Creation Superstore. You'll find over a thousand books, DVDs, and other quality resources on origin science, creation, and Bible history. Whether you're looking for nature documentaries, educational books, homeschool resources, or children's videos, we've got it all, so be sure to head over and check it out. Use this special promo code to receive 10% off your first order. Okay, so let's talk about the amphitheaters and talk about the straight walls of the canyon. Both have a lack of talus or mm -hmm. debris at the right. bottom, right? Right. I was talking with a secular geologist one day, and he was very quick to point out, my PhD is in geology wow. at the Grand Canyon. Uh, I was doing some on-location video there, and he said, um, 
he said, you know, this canyon formed over millions and millions of years. You know, I understand that's what you believe. Mm -hmm. um, we got to talking and he pointed out that he had just taken, recently taken a trip down uh, rafting down mm -hmm. the, the Colorado River through the Grand mm -hmm. Canyon. And there was a new series of rapids hmm. that had developed. And I said, well, well, tell me about that. Well, he was like, well, you know, the year before, uh, there was a rock slide and some of the rocks had fallen off from the cliff, fallen into the river, and it had formed a new series of rapids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about that, that new rock slide had filled up the river with debris. Mm -hmm. The river didn't push those rocks on down. Right. It created a new set of rapids. Right. If this has been happening for millions upon millions of years, the whole It'd canyon be should up. be filled with debris. Exactly. And it's not. There was a lot of fast moving water, mm -hmm. obviously, at some point in the distant past. Very fast. Yeah. Fast enough to push boulders the size of cars in some cases. Exactly. You know, actually, if you think about his reasoning, he would have been more supported if it, a new one had not formed, but an old one had been removed. Correct. Exactly the opposite of what he was, he was looking at. <laughs> but that shows you when your starting belief is so strong, everything you see is gonna, in your mind, support that belief, yes. even if it's in error. So the lack of rock debris, the straight up and down canyon walls, um, the missing layers, the great unconformity. Uh, okay. And at the very bottom where, where the peat sandstone sits upon, the uh, non-stratified, yeah, the grants and schists. Now that's where I show people where literally where creation met judgment. Okay. Because you've got the uh, the creation or the I, I consider the non-stratified layers as original creation rock. Okay. Now the stratified layers, which lay right on top of the of the granites and the igneous rock, they're stratified. Those are flood layers. Those are judgment layers. Okay. So the great unconformity is literally where the non-stratified creation rock meets, meets judgment. the judgment rock. Ooh. So what we think happened was in the original creation, there was probably about two miles of, of, of sediment, uh, maybe topsoil, maybe rock, we don't know, above, and it, as the fountains of deep erupted for 150 days, they were eroded and eroded and eroded, uh -huh. and finally got down to where we are today at that great unconformity, and the waters started to abate, and over the next 150 days started redepositing all those uh -huh. same sediments, Yeah. but now they're stratified by grain size, weight, and density, so we have the Tapete sandstone, the Muav limestone, the Bright Angel shale, uh -huh. and on up to the Kaibab limestone. Death. Full of dead things. Okay. Yeah, full of fossils. Full of fossils. Now the sacralists look at that as having formed slowly over millions of years and no global flood, which makes you wonder why are they stratified? It'd just be one big right. brown conglomerate if they form slowly. They're stratified by moving water. But what the old earth beliefs do, and David, most Christians don't get this. The old earth beliefs put death before Adam. Okay. God didn't give us the world the way it is today, full of death and suffering. He gave us a perfect creation. What uh. happened to it? Adam's original sin yep. corrupted the creation, allowing death to enter. And that's why we now live in a world full of death, yet we have a loving creator. Okay. And how loving is that creator? Hmm. Well, that original sin also separated us from God, which is what we deserve for eternity. Uh -huh. But he's so loving, he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die in our place, yeah. his shed blood covering our sin and redeeming believers with him for eternity. Wow. wow, that's a loving God. And that's the whole answer to how can we have a loving God in a world full of death and suffering. But if you've accepted old earth beliefs that put death before Adam, 
You can't answer that question. Huh. And it's why we need to uh, wake Christians up to this issue because Satan is very good at what he does. Yeah. The old earth beliefs are subtle mm. but devastating. Subtle but devastating, absolutely. Let's talk about the fossil information that we can find at the Grand Canyon that also points us back to biblical history. Mm -hmm. So things like trilobites, right? Yes. They're super sophisticated creatures. I mean, they have, you know, a, a compound eyes like a fly. They have a nervous system. They have a, a skeletal system. They're kind of like giant underwater roly-polies, you might say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but you find these in the lowest layers of the Grand Canyon. You find the trails that they made yes. in the Tapete Sandstone yes. at the lowest. So the very first sedimentary water lane layers that you find, now all of a sudden you're finding complex fossils. Mm -hmm. Okay, where's the evolution? How did they evolve? There's a couple things I wanna say about the trilobites yeah. at Grand Canyon. Yeah. First of all, um, we find those trackways down in the Tapete Sandstone, but okay. you don't find the trilobites in that layer. Okay. The trilobites you find in the layer above Wow. Without the tracks, which means they were alive laying down the tracks. They got washed away and killed and buried in the next layer above. Wow. You don't find them in the same layers together, the tracks and the, and the fossils of the trilobites themselves. And the other thing I would say about trilobites is they had the most sophisticated eye known. They had a two lens system with up to 15,000 lenses. It is the most sophisticated eye we are aware of, uh -huh. and yet it's found in the first of the stratified layers. So huh. Darwinists want us to believe that that most sophisticated eye was the first thing to have evolved. <laughs> I think trilobites lived at the bottom of the ocean, so yeah. wouldn't they be the first things buried in the lowest layers? Oh wow, that makes sense. Of a global like flood. And then we, we go up through the layers of the canyon. Let's just say we hit the red wall limestone. Mm -hmm. We find what nautiloids, millions of nautiloids in those red wall layers, mm -hmm. almost like squid-like creatures, cephalopods had little yes. tentacles coming out of conical shells. Yes. Uh, those are also naturally water animals, aren't they? They, they certainly are. Okay. And they are found literally estimated three billion in a seven foot thick layer that's about Oh, it's in the bottom 30 feet of the red wall. Okay. And it, that, that layer extends uh, west past Las Vegas, yeah. east all the way to the end of the Painted huh. Desert. The interesting thing about them, because they have that long conical shell like you were discussing, yeah. is they're found oriented in pretty much the same direction. It might be a little off, but okay. it was like they were laid down in running sludge. They're already dead, and that oriented their shells in basically the same direction. Millions of them just buried, boom. Just buried, wow. boom. Okay. But, hey, Dave, could I, could I mention oh, yeah. to David another thing about the, the red wall? This is amazing. The red wall limestone, we're told, uh, off the top of my head, I want to say 560 million years old, yep. but it, it sits on top. There's supposed to be the red wall, below that the Temple Butte formation that formed over 15, 20 million years, and then below that the, the Muav limestone. Mm -hmm. But there are areas in the canyon where the, the middle layer, the Temple Butte, is not there, and the red wall sits right on top of the Muav limestone, which okay. supposedly they're, they're tens of millions of years separated. Yeah. So they should have both been solid rock at that point. But there are points where the red wall sits right on top of the Muav, where the Temple Butte is gone, where the red wall and the Muav are intermingled. 
Really? Which means they were laid down in running water that simultaneously, simultaneously that was mixed them, and they've hardened with the with the uh, um, sediments of the two layers mixed. There's no way you can explain that over millions of years of time. No, you can't have vast periods of time creating that. So in other words, from the very bottom all the way to the top, we're finding fossils, and predominantly sea fossils. We also are planning to do a program on the Grand Staircase. We'll talk about how from the rim of the canyon, and people have either been there or seen pictures, it's a mile from the rim to the river. Mm -hmm. But there used to be almost two miles of rock above that's been removed, and I'll look forward to discussing that with you in another program. Removed rapidly, rapidly. over vast areas. And I love it, I love it. Thank you, Russ, for being here today. Thank you, David. You know, when it comes to our origins, we weren't around to witness the formation of the universe, the formation of the canyon, but by faith, evolutionists, they believe that it was formed by chance over billions and millions of years. We see, we by faith believe that a creator designed everything, the whole universe, with purpose. But it isn't a blind faith. God has left us with important clues in creation and important clues in His Word that tell us about a historical flood. But most importantly, we believe that by faith, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we believe. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, He wants you to believe that too. By way of His death on the cross and His resurrection, the sinless sacrifice, He's paid the penalty for our sins. He's not willing that any of us should perish. I'm David Reeves, and I want to remind you to keep looking up, because truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. Hello, I'm David Reeves, host of the TV show Creation in the 21st Century on TVN and the Heavens Declare video series. Each week we talk about breaking discoveries in science which reveal that our Creator, the God of the Bible, has left a pattern of His fingerprints throughout the universe. Engage with other like-minded believers through the Creation Club. This website offers thousands of articles written by scores of authors in multiple languages. Sign up to get our free monthly magazine delivered to your door. Want more? Genesis Science Network is our free 24-7 TV network, reaching millions of people around the world on internet, Roku, Fire TV, and mobile devices. Shop over a thousand books and videos on the Creation Superstore, the world's largest origins-related store. Visit our Wonders of Creation Center and sign up for email updates to have encouraging articles sent straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook for daily inspiration and education regarding science and the Bible.